0: We are several weeks into our series through the book of Acts. This is going to take us through the new year, and uh, it's been a blast so far, and we're only in chapter 3. So uh, today, if you brought your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse 11, but just hold your place there. Uh, I want to just do a quick review of Acts chapters 1 and 2 to bring us up to speed on where we are picking up today. So Acts is the second volume of Luke's writings. The first volume is the Gospel of Luke. You guys are great students. The Gospel of Luke. And his second volume is uh, the book of Acts. And the first volume, he's talking about everything that Jesus taught and everything that he did And in the second volume, in the Acts of the Apostles, he's writing about everything that God did through the empowering of the Holy Spirit of the early followers of Jesus and the the acts, the the things that God did through them. Uh, And then what happens is Jesus tells his followers, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you to clothe you with power before you try to go out and accomplish the mission on my behalf. Wait until you've received power from the Holy Spirit. And so they obey and they're waiting and praying and expectant for the Holy Spirit to come upon them with power. Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father in a sort of coronation ceremony where he ascends to his throne, his rightful place, at the right hand of the Father as king. Then uh, Matthias is chosen to replace Judas as one of the 12 apostles. And then, don't worry, we did not miss Pentecost. It still happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And this is what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the early followers, the disciples, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're being obedient, they're waiting, they're expectant for Jesus to send the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit to clothe them with power. So that they could be witnesses. What we've talked about the last two weeks. The word witness means martyr. It means to pour your life out. Out of self-sacrifice and service to the world around you. And they start speaking in tongues. And there's all these different regions. People from different regions that are gathered. And what's fascinating is they hear the disciples speaking in their own languages. And one of the people speak up and accuse all these guys of being drunk. And so Peter says, it's only 9 a.m. Who gets drunk at 9 a.m.? And then he goes on and seizes this opportunity and preaches the socks off the place and 3,000 people are added to the church. It's absolutely, this is how the church begins. It's incredible. And then last Sunday we talked about uh, the spiritual and sacred practices of the early church that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The doctrine, the scriptures, they were devoted to fellowship, to gathering in homes and in the temple day by day, to breaking bread, communion, and eating meals together, and to prayer. So there is intimacy of relationship with one another, and there's intimacy in relationship with God. And they gathered day by day. And what's so beautiful and challenging for us today is that even in, uh, as we read through this, even in uh, an incredibly hostile culture, the early church was not marked with hostility. It's important that we get this because oftentimes the church today, according to culture, according to the hostile culture that we live in, is the church is marked with Hostility. And so what we see in the early church is they were not marked with hostility and hostility toward a hostile culture. They were marked with tremendous love, compassion, self-sacrifice, not just for their friends, but even for their enemies. And the result was that the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. That's what happened. Now... As Jonathan mentioned uh, in the video series, we talked about the the lame man uh, being healed by the power of the Holy Spirit through Peter and John, and uh, the lame beggar who was there for who knows how long, he starts leaping and laughing his way into the temple Where there's all these people that would have walked by him for years and years and years, seeing him begging for money, and now he's walking around joyful and celebrating and praising God. And so Peter sees all of this attention being gathered, and then Peter seizes another opportunity and begins to preach the gospel. And that's where we are picking up today. Peter preaching in Solomon's portico in Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 11. We'll read through verse 26 and then unpack it. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. While he, uh, the lame beggar, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And here's his sermon. Men of Israel... To be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. What a sentence. You killed the author of life. Whom God raised from the dead. And to this we're witnesses. And his name. By faith in his name. Has made this man strong. Whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus. Has given this man. Perfect health. In the presence of you all. Verse 17. And now brothers. All the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What a sermon. There's a whole lot there. And Peter's, Preaching, interestingly enough, in Acts chapter three is very similar to his preaching in Acts chapter two. And what we see in this is Peter jumping up and down on this idea, this word is used over and over again throughout his sermon, it's the word prophet. He's drawing on this idea because of his Jewish hearers, he's drawing on the idea that they have placed authority on what the prophets have spoken. He's drawing on that reality. That you look to the prophets who have said this and said that and said this and said that. And so now I'm trying to point you to the reality that Jesus is who all of the prophets were pointing to. And he draws that out. Now one of the things that I want us just to have this foundation. Because as we dig into what it means for, for Jesus to sort of be this final prophet. This final expression of the nature and character of God. There's a couple of pitfalls that we can fall into, and so I want to build a little bit of a foundation before we jump into that specific thing. It's interesting when you read through the entirety of Scripture, Jesus holds three specific offices or functions throughout the Scripture. He is a prophet, but he's not just a prophet. He's also referred to as priest and king. So Jesus is the only one who holds those three offices, prophet, priest, and king. In Acts 3.22, uh, Peter references what Moses said about Jesus. It says this, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. A couple chapters after this one, Stephen Preaches a message where he also identifies Jesus as the prophet that Moses was talking about. So, and there's a host of other scriptures that we don't have time for. But Jesus is constantly referred to as a prophet from God. Also, Jesus is a priest. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is also referred to in scripture as a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is both prophet and priest. And then John, describing Christ's Inevitable return, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, Revelation 19, 13 through 16. He, Jesus, is called the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How many of you knew that Jesus had a tattoo on his thigh? (laughs) Right, so Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Now let's define those. Just give us a cursory understanding of what those things are. So a priest is a representative. A a priest is an advocate, a a shepherd, somebody that represents people to God. They're a sort of mediator. That's what a priest is. A prophet is a revealer. A, A prophet exposes truth. A prophet declares and proclaims the truth of God. Not only who God is, but what God's will is, what God desires, So a prophet, think about it this way, a prophet represents God to mankind while a priest represents mankind to God, right? So you've got prophet and priest. So as a prophet, Jesus represents uh, God to us and as a priest, he represents us to God, but he's also a king. He is the rightful ruler of heaven and earth over all creation. And because of that, He has the right to command us, and he deserves our total allegiance, submission, cooperation, and obedience. Here are the pitfalls as we think about these things. One of the dangers within Christendom, not only for us as individuals, but even for uh, communities of God, the body of Christ in, in different local expressions is that as we see Jesus fulfilling these three offices, that we lean or emphasize one over the other ones. Or we abdicate one and focus on two. And and the truth is, whatever you believe to be true about God will inform what you believe to be true about yourself, which will then inform how you approach the world around you and treat the people around you. So let me give you a couple of examples of the dangers here. If you only view Christ as in his priestly function, if you only view Christ in that way as someone who represents us to God without the truth-telling, revealing, uh, uh, convicting word of the prophet— You can fall into licentiousness, this idea that you can just sin all you want because all of your sin, past, present, future are dealt with for good. Scripture says that is absolutely not the case. If you approach God that way to take advantage of his grace, you actually don't understand the price that Jesus paid. So we need to understand that if you only view Christ as priest, you can take advantage of the grace and forgiveness of God and forget the truth-telling nature of the prophet or the call to submission to the lordship, to the kingship of Jesus. If you view Christ primarily as a prophet and undervalue his role as a priest, you'll be in danger of becoming cold, uncaring, even arrogant of your use of truth in order to prove a point rather than using truth to serve the hearer of whatever it is that God is asking you to say. This is where you see Christians beating other people up with the Scriptures. And if you ever beat somebody up with the Scriptures, you actually don't understand the heart of God behind the Scriptures. Amen, somebody? So if you only see or value Christ's role as a prophet, you're in danger of becoming judgmental, cold, arrogant in your use of truth. If you view Christ only as king, you'll be in danger of having a submitted relationship with Christ. You'll have allegiance toward Christ, but there will be no joy. There'll be no intimacy or friendship if you don't also view him as priest. And so what we see in all of this is these things are working in perfect tandem and unison with one another. That Christ is the perfect fulfillment of all of these offices and roles. And if you try to hold on to one and abdicate the other two, or you hold on to two and abdicate the one, it is going to bring disorder, dysfunction, and distortions into your life as a follower of Christ. So we have to view all three However, in Acts chapter 3, Peter is specifically jumping up and down on the fact that Christ fulfills the office of prophet. So let's dig into that a bit more deeply and what that means. Look what our passage that says in Acts chapter 3, verse 18. It says, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets. Now, this one sentence gives us some incredible understanding of what a prophet is and what a prophet does. And the, oftentimes the way we come to understand the character, the nature, the will, the desires of God is through, as we read scriptures, we take the entirety of scripture into consideration, we observe what is in the scriptures, we read through it, we observe what's there, then it requires some level of interpretation within that context on what that actually meant then and then what it might mean today and then we get into application so there's observation, interpretation and application that's how we approach the scriptures but what i love about how direct peter is right here is he's telling he's telling his listeners he's going guys this isn't up for debate this isn't open to interpretation this is not dependent on your perspective because all of what the Old Testament prophets spoke, it wasn't the prophets' interpretation of things. It was God himself speaking. This is, this is what it says in verse 18, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets. So God is literally using the prophets as a mouthpiece, right? That is their Roll and all of the Old Testament prophets, they are speaking the very words of God. It wasn't when you look at Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Hosea, when you look at these Old Testament prophets, it's not that they're hearing something that God said and then somehow taking their own interpretation and saying, I think this is what God meant. It's not that. They are a conduit of the voice of God to the world that is the role of the prophet. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says no prophecy of scripture is by the prophet's own interpretation. But prophets spoke again from God, not of their own will as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now this is referencing the prophecy of scripture, and it, it's including scripture in that, but specifically a prophet is someone who brings the very words of God to bear on the world, who reveals the, the nature, the character, the will, the desires of God. They're not an interpreter, they're a proclaimer. And when a, a prophet was speaking, they were bringing something that superseded popular opinion, They were bringing something that demanded acceptance and submission. And we don't like this in modern Western culture because we we, uh, tend to like the idea of, you know, your truth is your truth and my truth is mine and there are no absolutes, which, by the way, is an absolute. Um, Right? And so we don't like that idea of, This is just absolute. There is no interpretation, it just is what it is. And and so whatever your perspective on that, let's just make it plain. If your truth differs with God's truth, it's not truth. Simple. If your truth differs with God's truth, it's not truth. (laughs) And that's what it means when the Bible says there are prophets and God has spoken through the prophets. He's done this to deliver non-negotiable truth. In Matthew 23, uh, this is just so beautiful. Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders in Matthew 23, 34. And he says this, I send you prophets, And wise men and scribes, and some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. In other words, though your fathers uh, before you have murdered prophets, I keep sending them to you. I keep sending them your way to bring you the truth and then you plug your ears and gnash your teeth when the truth is presented and you harden your hearts. But guess what? I love you so much that I'm going to keep sending prophets to you because you need to hear the truth, right? And I think think what's often difficult for us, let's just bring this down to to a practical level for, for you and I. What's often difficult for us is when someone does present us with truth, and maybe that truth is difficult to hear, or they present us with a perspective, and that perspective is difficult to hear, maybe a hard truth to accept. What's incredibly easy to do, if there's something that we don't like about what someone is saying to us is to completely reject everything that they're saying and if we're not careful, even reject them. And because of that, this is a calling that I think God has given to us as followers of Jesus because anybody know that it's hard to hear the truth about yourself sometimes, right? When I was in my early 20s, Uh, I I was in a very short-lived dating relationship and uh, we had broken up and I received a letter in the mail. And I will spare you the gory details, but it was not pretty. It was a seven-page scathing letter. Yes. And I, I read through that letter And I put it on my nightstand and I saved it. And a couple days later, I came back and I read the letter. And a couple days later, I came back and read the letter. And it wasn't about punishing myself or self flagellation. Every time I would read the letter, I would come before God and just simply ask the question Is any of it true? Not easy, because there's a lot of stuff in there that wasn't true. It would have been so easy just to throw it away and move on, but I knew that if I would just take the opportunity to humble myself before God and say, God, what is it that you want to teach me? Because as Pastor Jimmy says all the time, people are the worst. We are the worst, That's my favorite quote of Jimmy's. (laughs) God, what is it that you want to teach me? Where is the kernel of truth that you want to use to make me more like you? And I think as we, as the people of God, are presented with difficult things about ourselves, if we can take that posture of humility and openness to what God might want to say to us through hard words and maybe unfair words of other people just to come before God and say, God, what are you teaching me? Where do you want me to learn? Where do you want me to grow? How do you want me to change? I think if we'll do that, we will see incredible things happen in our not only our lives individually, but also in our midst if we do that collectively. And one of the many lessons for us in simply observing the Pharisees' rejection of truth over and over and over and over again. Listen, it's not that they couldn't hear it. It's not that. It's that they wouldn't hear it. It's that they wouldn't even consider the possibility of there being a sliver of truth in what Jesus or the prophets were presenting to them. Right, and I want you to see this too in Matthew 23, 34 Jesus says, I keep sending you prophets, wise men, teachers. You realize what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, I'm one of the prophets. He doesn't say, I'm one of the wise men or the scribes or the teachers that are coming to you. And, uh, he doesn't say, I'm one of them. He says, I keep sending you prophets. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I am the one who has created and even called the prophets to bring the truth to you. And you keep plugging your ears, but I keep sending them to you because I am the author and originator of all of life, and I love you enough to keep sending you people that will tell you the truth about yourself. Don't you dare equate me with a mere messenger. I am the full and perfect expression of the glory of God himself. It all originated with me. You exist because I spoke you into existence and breathed life into you. You are here because I made it so. That's what he's saying. I keep sending you the prophets. And yet here I stand in front of the Pharisees. And he says, here I stand offering my life in order that you might know my glory and be changed forever. But you won't hear it. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke again to our fathers by who? The prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Anybody in here hold anything up with your words? He holds the universe together by his words. That's the power of our God. And when you look at all the other religions, what's interesting is they'll acknowledge that Christ was a prophet. He was one of many. That he was a great teacher or a leader of a great movement. But they will never acknowledge this. They will never acknowledge that Christ, he's not one of the prophets, he's the final prophet. He's the ultimate prophet of God. He is the full expression of the glory of God. The perfect representation of God's character, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the ultimate and final prophet. And this is why Peter is jumping up and down on this on Acts chapter 3. He wants them to get it. And he says this in verses 13 through 14. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified, and here's the first title he uses, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied, the second title, the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed, the third title, the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. This person you killed, they're the author of life. They couldn't even stay dead, right? You, you killed the author of life and God raised him up. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revealer, the proclaimer of the character, the will, the desires, the nature, the love, the compassion, the power of God. And this is exactly why Peter says, when you all killed Jesus, I know that you acted in ignorance, verse 17, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer He's been telling you this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And what that means for us is that while they and while you and I were Christ's enemies, he died for us, he suffered for us. He poured out his life for us. That while you and I had our fists raised in the air toward heaven saying, God, I want to be the ruler of my own life. I don't want to submit to your kingship. I don't want you to bring me truth that confronts things in my life. I, I don't want that aspect of you. I want to rule my own life. And we rebelled against God. While we were doing that, Christ came down and walked among us, and loved us, and poured out his life as a sacrifice for us. And what's amazing is in his death on the cross, we see both pain and beauty united together. We see both destruction and healing brought together in a way that's never been done before and will never be done again. We saw the uniting of things that were in opposition with one another. You've got both the lion and the lamb. Right? And Jesus took the place of a murderer, it says in our passage, Barabbas. Right? So Pilate brings these two men before a mob. And he says, who do you want to go free? This person who has proven to be a murderer, who has every right to be crucified, or this man in whom I find no guilt. Who do you want to be released? And they asked for the murderer. They demanded Barabbas. We are Barabbas. presented with the choice, Christ chose to allow us who deserved the cross to go free. And he took our place. We walk free because the author of life walked forward in silence and surrender. And so he asked the question, okay, Rob, well, now what? What do we do in light of that? And Peter tells us, Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back. Now, real real quick before we read the rest of the verse, the word repentance, man, this, this word has been abused in horrendous ways. You know, repentance is not a bad word, repentance is an invitation it's it's not something to use to beat over someone's head until they submit repentance is an open invitation to come back into right relationship with god that's what repentance is right and and, and on top of that scripture is very clear what leads to repentance is god's his kindness It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's an open invitation from a loving father to come home. (laughs) That's what repentance is. So Peter says, listen, I've given you an explanation. I've given you the truth of what happened, and now I'm giving you an exhortation. And here it is, repent, therefore, and turn back. Why? That your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? It's not guilt mongering, it's not shaming. It's saying, I love you, come home. And so listen, maybe you're here and you're going, yeah, that, that's, that's me, I've been, I've been running away from God, I've, I've turned away from Him and I'm going my own way. Listen, I'm not gonna do an altar call this morning, but. Um, for our pastors and even some of our prayer team after the service we're just going to be hanging out up here and if that's you if you sense the Holy Spirit saying hey come home return you've been off doing this you've been running away from me You, you haven't been in submission to me you haven't seen me as the compassionate high priest who knows what it's like to be tempted in every way that you are come home Repent, therefore, and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have offered us a beautiful invitation, an open invitation. God, to simply return to you, to to come back to you, to come home. And God, in the areas of our life where we have been Uh, rejecting truth or rejecting um, maybe a perspective about ourselves that we don't want to hear God would you help us to simply humble ourselves and just ask the question God what is it that you want to teach me is any of it true and God for those of us that have wandered from you God I, I pray today that You would give those individuals the courage to just simply come forward and have a conversation in a community of people that will love them and walk with them, because God, you are merciful, you are kind, you are loving, you are gracious, you are compassionate, you are slow to anger. (laughs) We're so grateful, and so God, would you do that work in our midst And help us individually. Not to think that repentance needs to happen by that person or this person or who. Us. Me. God, do that work in me. And do that work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, church? Amen, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Would love to chat with you. Come, Come down and say hello. Take care.